If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. So uh, I started watching Moon Knight with Coco last night. Moon Knight is the new Marvel I'm series, like not Knight. not new, but <gasps> oh yes, in I've the been last like that, you know, six weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Marvel series because she watched the whole thing with Randy, and um, she was like, "You would really like this." Mm-hmm. And I was exhausted last night, so I just laid on the couch and let her like control all of my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, so she just played three episodes in a row, and I really liked it. It's mm-hmm. it's really really cool, but um, Ethan Hawke isn't it? Yes, and He's I was like, guy. oh my god, <laughs> it's like he has certainly like because Bring the only 90s. thing the only thing I remember about Ethan Hawke is is his Uma Thurman. Uma, Uma, Uma. Was he with Uma Thurman? Oh yeah, they were married. I think right? were they? I think I just remember his like baby Uma face, Thurman. cute boy status. Like the long hair, you know, he was supposed to be so cute and he was, he was never like Mr. Stellar actor to, in my mind. He was no. never, he was never really was notable for anything. Reality Bites. Reality yes, Bites. he was in Reality Bites. That's the one I remember. That's the one I remember too. And he was, wasn't Ethan Hawke in um, uh, Dead Poet Society too? Was that one of his first roles? I Am think, I crazy? I think so. I, I think, think he was one of the kids in Dead Poet Society, mm-hmm. but he, he's just like, he's, forever young in my brain because that's really the only thing like his face is really the only thing I ever right associated him with his heartthrobness or whatever right and now I'm like oh I need to watch reality bites again yeah we didn't say hello is this our intro or are we just talking to each other yeah we can say hi <laughs> how's hi, it going <laughs> hi Patrice hi Courtney hi y'all. Courtney's gonna keep us on track well, keep us on track like, join our conversation mid-conversation well we've got a new we've got a live show coming up for the first time in two Woo-hoo! and a half years and Yay! we realized as we were doing prep that um the last time we did live shows Courtney didn't do our live shows with us it's been two and a half years and right. Courtney would be there and give us drinks and stuff but that was before you really played more of a role like that was before we got you a mic it's before they would let me talk you didn't want to talk <laughs> anyone you I told know. us not to let you talk and <laughs> so it true. was really weird because our dynamic has changed in true. the last two two more than two years mm-hmm. and so we like had to like we went back in and we're like oh wait a minute no, we need a third. We have to have a third mic. Like we can't. We need a third mic. Well, it's because you were translating for Courtney the whole time, and we were like, "Why I are know. we doing?" Courtney would talk, and and like one or the other of us would just be like, "Oh, this is what she said," because you couldn't hear it out there in internet land. Internet radio. Let land. the listeners vote. You can vote. I like me that. Out. We if need. You a- think I shouldn't have a mic. Just let us know. That wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the right to say. I'm sorry. Your rights have limits. <laughs> Your rights. This is not a democracy. This is not a democracy. 
We need to record. We need to get a couple people who are like really good uh, singers and do like a really quick three-part, four-part harmony on Internet Radio Land and just yes. play that as a sound bite on our show. <laughs> I can find those people. I know those people. You not like my singing voice? I love your singing voice. <laughs> Let's do it right now. Do it again. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you like that? Just like no. Internet Radio Land. <laughs> Internet. Radio Land. Oh no, that wasn't good. That wasn't right. I don't know this. I'm gonna go bop 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 Oh, welcome to our flurry brains. Yes. That we are already one drink. And and haven't even started our stories, but this delicious Mother's Day drink. Along with delicious Mother's Day treats. Oh, yes. Yes. From Courtney. From Courtney. She pampers us. In the cupcake shop down the street. Mad Hatters. Love you. If you're ever in Jacksonville, Alabama, and you want cupcakes. Yes. Mad Hatters. Mad Hatters. Go there. So, yeah, we thought this drink was sweet, but then we had a cupcake and then it wasn't as sweet after a cupcake. But it's, um, wanted to do a kind of a spritzer type today, which it's kind of cool today. It's in the 60s and I thought it was going to be hot and we need refreshing. Right. But anyway. Yeah. I was lemon gonna, yeah. lavender. It, it has been really hot. I was like, I think yeah. when you asked me about it yesterday, I was like, it needs to be refreshing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's cold. I know. I had to check it today. I'm sorry. Lemon lavender. Oh, yes. So we're going to pretend like it's really hot. Uh Patrice has a fan. She's fanning herself mm-hmm. anyway. With an alien on Lemon lavender sparkling wine spritzer, I suppose. Spritzer usually means you put club soda, but we're going to call it a spritzer. Oh. But I made lavender simple syrup with lavender that has finally bloomed in my yard. I planted it last year, and this year I'm getting the actual purple flowers. Oh, so cool. It's the Does it take a year? Sorry. I guess. Okay. I, I also cut it back, and just like any, like... Herb, usually the more you cut it back, the more it'll produce. So you have to cut back your basil and your mint and your thyme. So it will that's produce. my, that's what I always feel. <clears throat> mm. So if you'll just clip it, even if you're not going to use it, it's better for it. So yeah, I have the purple flowers. I, I had to cut like four out of the five that I had. <laughs> but I saw little buds coming up for more. So there's still hope. So um, a simple syrup made with the lavender and it's very thick. And sweet. I don't really taste the lavender that much. Though. Yeah, I don't either. But and it might be because it's fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm-hmm. may have should have added more fresh because dried you, you dried is less. stronger. Yeah, usually. it's stronger. Yeah, with uh, fresh lemon juice, vodka, and sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. Drier, but the drier the better. Whenever I think of white wine spritzers, Brilliant. all I can think of is my mom in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Leg warmers. The only thing she tongs. would order in the eighties was a white wine spritz. Actually, no. When we lived in Germany, she would order like we went whole hog, man. When when we lived in Germany, my parents both drank. <laughs> but like, but then she was like, "Wait, I'm going to start doing white wine spritzers." So that's what she did. Yeah. Got back so that's usually that. like white wine and club soda. Mm-hmm. Just to mm-hmm. cut the wine a little bit. I always made fun of her, <laughs> but this is stout. I appreciate this. Yeah, it's stout. I like this. Um, it's got vodka. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, I've already like champagne and vodka go very well together. Yes, and I I don't understand it, but I appreciate it. I, and, yeah, um, it's like since we started the podcast, it's something new to me. I would never thought to put like mm-hmm. no, me neither. Champagne and vodka together, but hello. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've started doing mimosas that way at my parents' house on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you need to add that little extra kick. <laughs> yeah, it's you awesome. Do. Like a little floater on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. So cheers. Oh, with fresh cheers. strawberries from the cheers. market. My my strawberry plant from uh, last year, which I just like neglected and left sitting in a pot in my front yard <laughs> all winter, is producing ripe strawberries again oh, right now amazing it came back to life and it's just like ha take that i tell you what if you ignore stuff mm-hmm. it works yeah. out only some stuff because there's three empty pots next to that oh, okay. <laughs> there's <Okay>. like <laughs> two mums and two bay four empty pots actually there's two mums and two basils sitting next to that that are just like so fun good gardening with gardening us. gardening um, with the strange gardening with the strange yeah. wildflowers my garden is in all of my vegetables are planted so Our green thing. thumb of the group yes. is showing out. I just by the time this comes out, our our live show will probably be not. It will it? I'm it'll sure. be yeah, yeah. It'll be done already. So we're not gonna. Well, thanks for coming, everyone. Thanks. We had a great time. It was so much fun. It was like the best. We love it. Was the most. so good. <laughs> do we do we have anything else up front that we're so we're not gonna pimp that show? But no, no. <laughs> We could say uh, thanks to Romarnet Corbeau because we know that it was an amazing experience there. The, <laughs> yes. metaphy- the mom and pop metaphysical bookshop in Oxford, Alabama. So I feel like we up. need to come up with a jingle for them too. Oh, you know what? You know, we both shop. We both you have ukuleles. So there's really no excuse. For there us is to really not no have jingles for everything we do. Everything. And I'm going to say right now, I really loved the jingle that y'all created and gave it the live show. Which one was that? What did we do? It's in the past already, so you've done it. I'm setting the future. Oh, (laughs) shit. It was great. You got your ukes out. Wait, you recorded the jingle for them. Shit, why are you? Don't tell my future. Don't tell my future. Now I have to write it down. God. Ukulele jingle live show. Okay. Um, that might. All right, future us. When we listen to this, we'll have to check what we really did. Okay. Too bad that Courtney <laughs> got fired. Oh! <laughs> the votes are in. I'm out. All right, I'm leaving now. Then. Oh, one oh. jingle too much. <laughs> Make your own jingle juice. Then jingle, jingle, jingle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's not get let's not get carried away. We're getting a little bubble giggles. Bubble giggles. Bubble bubble juice. All right. Well, I can knock that right down for you. Oh, yes, Marlea. <laughs> Not going to spot. Yeah, boo. <laughs> boo me. All right, we're here for it. We're here for it. You we better are. be. That's what. That's what we're here for. We're here for each other. Pumped up. So, um, so there is a story that apparently I've related on the show before, and I where <laughs> someone had gotten a burn as a child, yeah. and someone came up, and a family member, an aunt, a granny, came up blew on the burn and whispered to take the fire out and it made the pain go away. That person was what we would call or what I think people called for a long time, the granny witch or the granny woman, Mm -hmm. the Appalachian granny. And I know that I've mentioned granny women before, Mm -hmm. especially when you were talking about hoodoo. Right. Whenever we've talked about herbal healers, whenever we've talked about like uh, that kind of thing in Appalachia, I've, I've, probably brought up the granny woman because I always wanted to do a story on it, but I never really did a full story on it. You know, I just, I didn't really have before we, so they're Appalachian folk healers. Before I go any further, I'm just going to do all my sources at the front end this time because 
because it's just too unwieldy otherwise. So this is big thanks to Harriet P. Masters, who I didn't reach out to, but meh, who wrote a uh, thesis for East Tennessee State University called A Study of the Southern Appalachian Granny Woman. There's also an article by Patty Wigington at LearnReligions.com on Appalachian folk magic and granny witchcraft. A review of John Riddle's book, Eve's Herbs, from the Herbal Graham Ooh. Journal of the American Botanical Council, Low Country Digital History Initiative, National Museum of Civil War Medicine article by uh, Sarah Handley Cousins, two CNN articles by Jessica Rabbits. Not Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> Not Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit's American Progress article by Renana Dine and uh, 199. Actually, this last one I didn't end up using. So, so folk healers, granny women. Like as early as the 16th century, colonists, white colonists from Europe brought traditional healing and folk medicine or folk magic, whatever you wanted to call it, to what would be the U.S. So the South Appalachian region, 17th, 18th century, folk healing knowledge came from Scotland, Ireland, England. We all know this now and blended then with the knowledge of like native tribes and German immigrants who had started to migrate down uh, from Pennsylvania in Northeast colonies. Folk healing was like supplanted to a greater extent earlier by like university trained medical professionals mm -hmm. and practitioners because the Northeast was where a lot of these, you know, in the original colleges, a lot of the like uh, Ivy League colleges popped up. Yep. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of the hub of higher education. It stayed a lot more prevalent down in places like Appalachia than it necessarily did in the Northeast. Because rates of illiteracy were extremely high among women, especially in the South and Appalachian regions and high in the population as a whole. Oral tradition was the critical way of sharing history and information. Mm -hmm. This is what we talk about every episode, right? right? Like this is what folklore is. Stories get told because stories couldn't always get written and they couldn't always get read. Um, but the same went for medical advice and knowledge. And right. folk medicine is actually considered by some to be a subset of folklore because of this, because it it was an oral tradition for a really long time. And it so considering it folklore, it, it didn't have to do with whether it was true or not. It had to do with how it was passed on to apprentices, to new people. Granny women or granny witches were important because there was often in Appalachia no access to formally medicated or formally medicated, <laughs> formally educated, <laughs> formally medicated medical professionals in a lot of these rural Appalachian areas that the doctors were very few and far between in a lot of these places. So and even up until the 1960s, you could have grown up in parts of Appalachia and never, ever have even seen a medical doctor. I believe that it's it, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely true until you were like an adult. Granny witches and or granny women, they filled a really important role in society. So and they stood for some of the best qualities of Appalachia because they stood for kind of independence. Like they didn't they didn't need these other institutions because they were all men in those other the institutions. institutions. Exactly. Yes. And it was self-reliance. It was pragmatism. It was looking around and seeing what you had and building from what you had. And honestly, a lot of it, like I said, was learning from the peoples around you. Also, And also because the things that you grew and were surrounded by, uh, I mean, it's not like you have like a global market mm -hmm. where you could get things from. You had to deal with like your own little small universe mm -hmm. right there. And yeah, there's you no could supply grow. chain. There's yeah. no supply chain. So it's like what you had is what you knew and that's what you use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's um 
a woman named Beth, Beth Ward, an author, writes in the long tradition of folk healing among Southern Appalachian women that granny wives, granny, granny, granny witches, granny women knew that catnip tea or red alder tea would stop infants from getting hives, that calamus root could be stewed down to soothe colic. Some of them, some of them did divinations. Some of them read tea leaves. Um, they would often recite a prayer or a psalm like a charm like a lot of the women who would pull out a burn, like that initial story, they would also say something like some charm. And sometimes it was like a Bible verse or proverb or something mm-hmm. that went along with it. They knew what phase of the moon you should plant your tomatoes in. You know, I mean, some of it was like, like the almanac, which always seems kind of magical to me <laughs> that people know the things they put in the farmer's almanac. Some of the stuff like prescribing peppermint tea for a stomach ache, mm-hmm. you know, some of this stuff has been tested true. Mm-hmm you know, scientifically and continued over time. Other things like <laughs> spitting into a frog's mouth three times to prevent conception for a year have not been tested true. Frog in a conception? Mm-hmm. I would that's like to see that, though. Interesting. Spitting into a frog's mouth? I would like to see that. I, I mean, mean, that's probably we could animal, make that happen. Well, that's probably animal cruelty. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I would feel for the frog, maybe. I, but it, I mean, I have several at my house. There's something about the, frogs and fertility, I guess. Yeah, there because, must well, be. It, the, this has nothing to do with Southern, but it was the great, the, the Catherine the Great mm-hmm. show on whatever mm-hmm. Amazon. Or, did you watch it? No, I haven't but seen. she's pregnant and she, they, the doctor makes her have a frog, like a frog on her stomach every day and let, like make it sit there for so many minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> See, and that's probably a, train, a trained medical doctor, right? I, hey, well, yeah. It was yeah. The 1700s. So. <laughs> so, <laughs> were they ever really trained? Yeah, I know. Just so for real, right? This is kind of where we get to where I was headed with this granny witch thing. So granny witch's primary role in Appalachian communities is tends to be as a midwife or a women's health consultant, a women's health support, which in in rural areas is especially critical. People, when, you know, this story starts in, you know, 1700s, people want to have as many children as possible in farming communities and rural communities because you need a workforce. Right. You know, and also a lot of your kids are going to die, you know, and so you need to have more. And so women were expected to bear these children. Birthing was a profession. That was, yes, their primary purpose in life. It's their job. And so they would start early and they would (laughs) keep on for absolutely as long as they could. There were uh, there's a book called Lying in a History of Childbirth in America. Richard Wirtz and Dorothy Wirtz um, said that most of a woman's adult life would be spent rearing children. So the average age of a woman at marriage, they said, was around 22. And I would argue that in Appalachia, it was much younger than that. The first child generally born 12 to 16 months later and the last child not generally born until the woman is about 40, which means that she's going to have young children living in her house until she's 60 years old or older. And this is her entire life. Right. This is expected. Right. Not always welcomed by women for understandable reasons. Absolutely. We're all I know all you at home, too, or wherever you are in your car, you're all sitting there like, oh, my God. God. Right. And and other women in this time understand that this isn't always a welcomed thing. Right. And granny women understood this and they knew how to manage it. So there's a historian at North Carolina State University in Raleigh. His name was John Riddle. And he wrote this book called Eve's Herbs. And they were his study of herbal folklore and how herbs historically were used to prevent and terminate pregnancy. So he his story goes all the way back to ancient Greece. He talks about there's a review of Riddle's book that talks about uh, a story where a modern day daughter and 
her mom kind of get into drinking this particular kind of tea and they really like it and they'll drink it every day. And the daughter gets pregnant and, and a couple months later she miscarries. It isn't until they start doing a little bit more research that they realize that what that tea is made of is called pennyroyal is a historic herbal abortifacient. Oh, she miscarried because of the tea. Yeah. Pennyroyal is a creeping plant. It's in the mint family. It's got pale blue flowers and it's been used for contraception since the time of Aristophanes. So he actually wrote in like the playlist Estrada. There's a joke about women walking around being girded with pennyroyal because it means men will want to have sex with them because they're not going to have babies. Oh, wow. There's an American version of that plant that's so profuse in some areas of Appalachia. There's a section of central Kentucky that's actually called the Pennyroyal Plateau because of how much of this plant grows in that area. Oh, wow. So Riddle also talks about the species of giant fennel that um, in Roman days, the Romans would call it um, Silphium. And it could be found in this original Greek city of Cyrene, which is now in Libya. And it only grew in this 30-mile strip of land near the city of Cyrene. And the plant they tried to transplant it to like Syria and Greece and it would not transplant. According to the second century Greek physician named Serenus, Serenus? Serenus. Um, the juice from a chickpea sized portion of this giant fennel, if you took it once a month, would completely be your birth control. Would completely oh, wow. thwart construction. There was nothing better at stopping you from conceiving than this. And because people heard this, the area absolutely boomed. So the prices Mm -hmm. spiked through the roof. The thing got over harvested. By the beginning of the first century AD, silphium was more expensive than silver by weight because people wanted it for that reason so badly. And then three centuries after that, it became completely extinct because people over harvested it so much. Um, He talks about how herbal remedies like that have been used for contraception and termination of pregnancy all through modern times across the globe. And there's all these weird plants in his list. So it's like celery is one of the plants like celeriac dates, herbs. We don't hear a lot about like rue and tansy and um, motherwort, birthwort, cedar root, death carrot, black cohosh, but also parsley, sage, rosemary, thyme. All of those fall onto the list of potentially contraceptive herbs. I have a Simon and Garfunkel joke. I know. That's all I ever think of. You can just play that. and I know. They also, it's like, it's so weird because whenever anybody talks about them, they always put them in the same order. Like you have to put parsley, sage, rosemary, rosemary and thyme in that exact order. Science has held up a lot of these findings. One study found that if you eat a diet of figs and fig leaves, mice eat a diet of figs and fig leaves. It reduces mouse litters by more than half. At certain dosages, other plants like aloe, corn mint, Queen Anne's lace consistently prevent or end pregnancy in rats. And birthwort, pomegranate, and squirting cucumber, which sounds super creepy, are are good at it also. So there's also um, juniper trees, you know, with the blue berries. Well, the berries of a juniper um, used to be called the savin. And one source that I found said that the, the common name of it was derived from its ability to save young women from shame. And it is a contraceptive. Then this was according to an article in Nature. I was always Nature. told not to eat those. Well, maybe that's why. <laughs> you know, if you're dead, can you really continue? And that's the thing. And that's, that's I, you know, got to say when you say all this, that all of the, I'm not recommending anyone try and solve any of their problems with fig leaves, but like, right. or juniper <laughs> berries, because these, 
work because toxic. they're toxic. So don't just go and take like birth wharton mm. and say mm. that I told yeah. you to. But because those juniper berries look like blueberries, they look tiny frosted, definitely frosted colored. They, yeah, but mm-hmm. um, they do. And but they do serve that purpose. And they are they have to be prepared in a certain way, too. Oh, yeah. And this is one of those things that the women who were in these communities yeah. at the time had passed on the knowledge how of how to do these things appropriately of all this right. time. And we've talked exclusively about like white Appalachian women, um, but enslaved women, of course, were also part of the South and had similar knowledge. So they knew that if they chewed on cotton roots, that they could prevent pregnancy or induce abortion. They knew that if you drank 10 to 12 drops of turpentine, because turpentine was made differently then that you would miscarry and they use herbs to regulate your cycle. So they didn't want to have children that were just going to be, or children from rape or children that were just going to be carried away and sold as, you know, cat. Right. Cotton root was the way that they showed resistance to the system that they lived in. And eventually slaveholders figured this out and would whip women who were found with cotton root in their possession because they knew that this was a form of resistance. They didn't want them to not have children because that's more money in their pocket. Like I said, don't go taking any of these because I said so, but yeah, the, and absolutely. A disclaimer. disclaimer, right? So the enslaved women and these granny women in white Appalachia communities knew how to prepare these things and they knew how to do these things. And many of them used these for the benefit of the women that they cared for. Did they talk openly about it? Well, the women in the area knew how like who they could reach they knew that that what their capabilities are and they knew that they could ask they knew how to ask but they did not talk about it around men and it's not because it was illegal we've been kind of spoon-fed this idea that before our modern era abortion was like practically unheard of and universally condemned and clearly illegal and that's all 100 percent bullshit herbs were used for contraception and abortion commonly and uncontroversially until the first quarter of the 19th century. And the National Museum of Civil War Medicine talked about this. They said, so we've talked about on the show a lot, like 1800s, you know, uh, medicine right. and the focus on like balancing fluids on humors, leeches, right. stuff like Bleedings. this, like kind of bleedings. Yeah. Yes. You're talking about balancing our smoke up the ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These weird things that people did in trained scientific circles. <laughs> Um, I know, right? So bend over set. (laughs) So like when when a woman's menses stopped, for whatever reason it stopped, it was interpreted as an unhealthy imbalance of her humors. And so it needed to be fixed is a problem that had to be fixed. Herbs and medicines that they took to fix this were called emenagogues, but they were part of open medicinal use and they were common. So Even a fetus at that point was not recognized as anything other than a blockage of the humors and it had to be cleared. There was a rule that until the point of quickening, which is when the woman could first feel a child move, Mm -hmm. which is like really far into the pregnancy, three, four months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Quickening and and until quickening, there was no no belief on any part of a fetus. Right. Quickening was a really important concept in the law. There's um, Leslie Reagan is a professor of history, medicine, gender, women's studies um, and law at the University of Illinois. And she wrote a book called When Abortion Was Crime. She talked about how before quickening, nobody at that time believed that life existed. The Catholic Church did not even believe that life existed before quickening because quickening was what they called ensoulment. So the soul 
took residence in a body at the moment of quickening. The um, the opening of a book called Abortion in America by James Moore talks about in 1800, um, there was no jurisdiction in the United States that had enacted any statutes on the subject of abortion at all. Most forms were not illegal. And by 1900, though, virtually every jurisdiction in the United States had laws that um, that regulated or outlawed the practice as criminal offenses. Even like in the 1820s to 1840s, when first federal and state laws came out that were limiting or, or banning abortion, they still retained the quickening doctrine, saying that this is not an abortion until after quickening. The ones that came in the 19 or 1850s and further were the ones that took that doctrine out of the picture. It was 1869 before the Catholic Church banned abortion outright before quickening. So when we talk about like, well, this was a religious difference, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't necessarily true here. So what changed between 1800 and 1900? Victorian sensibilities changed. Family dynamics started to change. Women started volunteering at charitable organizations, leaving the home to do work like the Gilded Age. The Gilded Age. Women want to have more independence. They're pushing for more rights, including access to higher education. And women are barred from medical practice and licensure through the early 20th century. So with the exception of women like granny witches, granny women, midwives, white men had all the say over women's reproductive health and care, despite knowing shockingly little about it. Absolutely fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And honestly, ladies, if you're, you know, out there and you're ladies and you have born children, I I imagine you probably feel the feels on some of this because even, I mean, my doctor did a spectacular job on my deliveries. I, I really respect my OB, but there is so much that they do not know. Do not. And they don't seem to care. And they don't care that they don't know. All of these things that happened in this Victorian era were threats to male power and patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, so the American Medical Association is a pretty new organization. It starts in like 1947, 1847. And it is, of course, all white men because there are no female or black doctors. Because they would not allow them. So there's a doctor named Horatio Storer, who's a, a Harvard Medical School graduate. Most of his life, he's worked as an OB or done OB work, OB uh, gynecological like, work. Yeah. And like the early gynecological work is like horrific. It's dirty. It is so horrific. Yeah. It's really bad. Look it up, y'all. It's, it's pretty bad. So yeah. in 1857, though, the American Medical Association, which we now, which does not have this stance now, to be clear started a battle against against abortion. And it was part of and ran hand in hand with a battle against what they called irregular doctors, meaning folk medics, holistic medicine and uh, midwives who are otherwise known as their competition. Right. And in 1950 and women and yeah, exactly. Mostly women. Fifty percent of children in the U.S. in 1900 were being born into the hands of midwives. And this is a revenue stream that is not being sent into their pockets. Mm-hmm. Their strategy to get rid of these irregular doctors is to attack legal abortion because it's midwives and homeopaths who are primarily performing or prescribing this stuff. They started to do a smear campaign against midwives. They're unhygienic. They're barbaric. Only barbaric civilizations. 1857. Okay. Only barbaric people give birth at home. Only barbaric so people don't use civil. doctors. And um, but it continues. 
and the laws start to go. And by the way, they also didn't want black people or immigrants having more babies than white people. This is like oh. n- not even I mean, wow, is that any different? Right. I, I know. So they start lobbying for illegalization, I guess, criminalization of abortion and painting women who terminate pregnancies as selfish, unnatural, un-American, undermining the godly role of the American, that of the wife. Uh. So it's sexism and racism again. Like, you know, and, and again, not 100% Southern. Right. Because this was all no. across the country yeah. and continues all across the country. But we're talking Appalachia, the granny women, skilled black midwives already. They already know what they're up against historically, because the cycle has kind of happened before. I mean, like half a million witches were burned at the stake in Western Europe between 1450 and 1700. And more than a third of those were midwives because they're a threat They have knowledge that other people don't have. Today, when I was making this drink and I was taking the lavender out of my garden, I was thinking, I mean, it's obvious why you're telling the story right now. Yeah. Um, And I swear (laughs) to you, I was pulling apart the little purple leaves and putting on a plate and I sent you the picture of how pretty it was. was Mm -hmm. It was. How far is it that I'm going to be like criminalized for like pulling herbs out of my garden and making stuff? Because Mm -hmm. this is the history of it. Yeah. Right. Just being an herbalist, someone who can bring things, of course, because it's tied to this. And mm-hmm. then, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it really crossed my mind today. Just that idea oh, that you no. can just. Absolutely. You're gonna, I was like, I'm a witch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I could be called a witch. <laughs> All of us could. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so but it's so interesting because it runs like the idea that we in this area would support anything that ran counter to that knowledge is just so counterintuitive. Because like I said, that that idea of pragmatism and invention and, you know, and independence that made granny witches and granny women critical and like so important in their communities. That's something I thought we still respected in this region. You know, I mean, and people think that they do. But then, you know, you look at legislation and it just completely runs counter to those ideas. So these anti-abortion laws that they started pushing through starting in like the 1860s, 1870s, went hand in hand with the ban of midwifery because that was the point. That was the whole reason why they wanted to do this in the first place. They wanted to concentrate power over women's reproductive health exclusively in the hands of rich white men who could profit from it and live under the, you know, delusion that they were doing things in a better, safer way. Oh, yeah. And I think that was it. I think it was kind of like the savior syndrome yes, of, absolutely. of the delusion of like, how can these women who are inferior species, who like, can't read, who can't, can't write, read, and they can't obviously write, can't make can, decisions for can't them make themselves, decisions for themselves, like bring into this world. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so with the passage of these laws, the rate of hospital births rises significantly. By 1951, 90% of births took place in hospitals. Midwives are banned from practicing in hospitals. They're not anymore. They're not anymore. Right. But at this time they were. Just kind of like there is a I'm little bit starting to see it. There's a resurgence. Mm-hmm. There has been a resurgence been, yeah. in the last maybe 25 years. Say, yeah. Maybe, you would say more I recent. Was, I was thinking 15 mm-hmm. or so, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't have children, as we all know. So, yeah. But I do know people who are formally educated now. As I do, wives. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and there are programs that are looking for them. There are right. programs. And friends who will not go to the hospital. Yes. Right. Are having 
births at home. I know people like that too. Yeah. But it's still, you know, that those midwifery programs that they accept they're mid- at hospitals, they're still part of the medical I establishment. But I it's know. also, yes, it is also that. But the fact that we do have modern medicine mm-hmm. and the fact that we can have both. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We can absolutely. Have you can we choose. can plan for it mm-hmm. because like Mother Nature and the universe does not always Mm-mm. meet you halfway at your plans. Nope. So I know for a fact, you know, me nor my son would be here without medical, modern mm-hmm. medicine right now, simply because I had such a difficult birth mm-hmm. um, and had to have a C-section. And I know mm-hmm. so many me too. women who planned for the natural birth and had to have C-sections mm-hmm. because of complications. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they would have been dead before that. So mm-hmm. I'm like, right. here's a toast to modern medicine. Here's a toast yes. to modern medicine. But they can, they can exist. We can do both. Yeah. We can do both. And that's what, there were other mm-hmm. countries that at these times when modern medicine was starting to butt up against the traditional forms of medicine that dealt with that, Mm-hmm. by placing them side by side and having them work together. And ours didn't work that way because there was a massive lobbying process in place that stopped one of those in its tracks entirely and basically annihilated the midwife profession and granny witches and granny women by the mid-century. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they've only recently started to come back. You know, and there have been different times, you know, during during the hippie movement, there have been times when people kind of started moving mm-hmm. in that direction. And there's a cycle that kind of runs where people start moving in that direction and then everything kind of winds backwards. And well, because the people with the power shut it down again. Yeah, always their their scheme worked and people are more interested in midwifery now. And part of it is because they're really unsatisfied and and upset with the medical treatment of pregnancy, as we were saying, because the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate of all quote unquote developed countries that are in the world. And our infant mortality rate in the U.S. ranks 33 out of 36 measured nations. Rich white men do not fucking know everything. Absolutely. This is diff. I mean, this is not sustainable. No. And, And it hasn't done what they said that they wanted to do so if you want to know where infant mortality is the highest arkansas alabama mississippi Mm -hmm. west virginia north carolina louisiana and all but one of these states falls into the top 10 states with the lowest income populations in the country and there's a reason for that there's a reason for that and despite the fact that medicaid expansion is shown to help low-income women access the most effective forms of contraception and abortion when necessary in their lives when they choose Three of those states refused to expand Medicaid, including our very own Alabama, when given the opportunity under the Affordable Care Act. And we got to stop falling for this Victorian trick that sells this picture of abortion seeking women as selfish and immoral. Oh, my God. Because yes. it's all over the news all the time in every conversation. And there's a Washington Post article um, from 2021. Seventy five percent of women who seek abortions are low income. Fifty nine percent are already mothers and fifty five percent are experiencing disruptive life events like a breakup, like a divorce, like a job loss. Things that you cannot just easily get over when you don't have fucking money. You cannot get over your car breaking down when you don't have money. You can't get over your windshield getting a massive crack and you can't get over this shit when you don't have $400 to spare. No. So there was a study using Experian credit reports that found that women who were turned away from an abortion clinic on account of arriving, they got there just past the gestational limit. 
<clears throat> and so they are turned away. They have an 81% increase in records related to bankruptcies, evictions, and court judgments compared to women who arrived just under the limit and were provided abortions. Mississippi, Florida, and Kentucky have passed new laws restricting access to abortion. Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, and Arkansas have been trying to do it. Five of these states are on the top 10 states with the lowest income populations in the country. So according to the Commonwealth Fund, more than 50% of rural communities in the U.S. have no hospital-based obstetric services at all. And let's get to the, let's get to the education, too, because... <laughs> If we're just going to teach abstinence, then of course this is going to continue. If you don't teach mm -hmm. like what contraception is for, how to get access to it. So all of these states that you're talking about, of course, are going to promote abstinence, abstinence, abstinence. And then we're going to be where we are, where mm -hmm. it is abortion is the option at that point. Because no one was even taught what to do. Yeah. No one it's was unrealistic. taught that you can it's, go to DHR and get this for free when mm -hmm. you are, a, you know, a teenager and that this is going to keep you from, because it's not that they're like, oh, I want to kill a baby. It's like, no, oh, I didn't know what to do. I don't know what happened. Yeah, okay. right. But most of them are they're not fucking... teenagers. Most are in their 20s and most already have children. I mm -hmm. just heard an NPR article today. So. And rural women are almost 10% more likely to have maternal morbidity or mortality than urban women. Mm -hmm. I mean, that we are, we're proud of our rural roots. I mean, like in the entire South, it's it's something that is a source of pride and it should be. There are so many good things that come out of that. You know, it's a it's a it's a prize. It's spectacular. But you can't just fuck it over like this. You know, I so so and it'd be remiss to not say that black and Native American women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy related causes than white women. Yeah, anyway, it fucking cost money to have like birth. It like, does. So Southern women, I will say, will suffer disproportionately when access to reproductive health care is further restricted. And they have already and are already suffering disproportionately. And if you aren't one of those people, just know that you're not in the majority. <laughs> I feel like we need to go back to granny women. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I, I don't have an ending for this. Yeah. I mean, I went on a fucking rampage with this, putting this together today because I'm really fucking pissed off, you guys. And, and we should be. We should be. And, and it is, it's a Southern problem. You know, I mean, it's a nationwide issue. It is. Mm -hmm. But this is our problem. These are mm -hmm. our people. You mm -hmm. know, this is our problem. And we have got to fix this shit. <laughs> anyway, this is why I told you that I was not going to be a happy maker today. <laughs> but uh, that's what I got. So, well, let's just remember, I mean, look, we're all white women sitting here and I'm just going to be honest, even if it's overturned or something happens, I'm sure I would find a way I could get on a fucking plane and go to California. I could go somewhere if and, I needed to. But the people who need our help yep. and we have to put ourselves in other people's shoes and understand it is, like you said, our responsibility. I mean, I'm past my years anyway. Let's hope, God willing, Lord, help me. <laughs> 43, not so far, still on, you know, contraceptives. But the point is, it doesn't matter. It's not time for me to give up and go, well, it's past. It's not my problem anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm too old or I could get it if I needed it. So, you know what? It's all of our, like you said, our responsibility. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because you can't, you can't afford to just pick up and take a bus to New York for a procedure and then pay for well, a procedure well, the and then take the time education. off work. And it's like we're not even like pro 
providing the adequate sexual education in school. So for like some of the younger um, girls who find themselves in this situation, I mean, it's, it's horrifying. It's, Mm -hmm. It's because we are so deeply rooted in religion. We're so deeply rooted in like, you know, maybe not as much as it used to be, but I think still in some rural areas, you know, just the thought that already the knowledge that there's there's no way past this that this is going to be mm-hmm. a reality mm-hmm. um and they can't you know it doesn't get better and this is this is what happened to their mom or this is what happened to their sister and it's just like the next thing mm-hmm. and children are so fucking hard you know even for people <laughs> who have the privilege and the resources to you know take you know to raise them. It's just, it's just so fucking hard. And I just Mm -hmm. cannot imagine. And I'm just like you, I'm just so absolutely furious at the lack of education, the attack and, and everything that's going on right now. It's just absolutely ridiculous. What the fuck are they doing? Mm -hmm. Like, why are we going backwards? This is a modern era. We should be going forward and they are doing this intentionally to keep everybody in their place. Mm-hmm. And, Agreed. And we don't like that, right? No. I mean, <laughs> come on, y'all. No. Cool down for a second. We're going to take a break. All right. Bye. Bye. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. Okay. So I am going to talk about Gwen Shamblin and the Fat Shaming <gasps> Meets God Girl. Awesome. Deal. What? I watch the first documentary and the new one's about to come out. I don't know what y'all are even talking come about. Out. Okay. And see, I thought HBO. Yeah. They did. They set it up weird because I would have watched it today. But the second part, they just continued it as like the first season. Oh. And so it was telling me like the second season came out and I was looking for second season, but they just added it like the last three episodes to the end of the first. Oh. Mm. So yeah, it really confused me. Otherwise, I would have watched it. What is it? What is the documentary called? It's uh oh, it is. Uh, I'll I'll tell you in a second. Okay, 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 okay. But if you don't know Gwen <clears throat> Shamblin, which I did not know, I didn't either because I'm not in those circles. But you would recognize her if you are in them circles because she usually wears skin tight dresses. She's super skinny, big hair, and she has fucking big ass hair yes she does she is taking like a note from dolly parton Mm -hmm. but she does not do it well nope but it does make her iconic which works for her purpose gwen shamblin and honestly i don't know her maiden name shamblin is like her first marriage name oh i don't know what her original name is 
She was born February 18, 1955 in Memphis, Tennessee. Her dad was a doctor. And she grew up just, you know, a Southern girl in a religious family. They were Church of Christ. And she earned her undergraduate degree in uh, Dianetics, Dietetics. Oh, Dietetics. Like, yeah. Like a dietitian. Dietetics. Yeah, Dietetics. Dietetics. And then she got her master's degree in food and nutrition from, uh, with an emphasis in biochemistry from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. She married David Shamblin, and they had two children. And this was like back in 1978 is when they married and, and proceeded to have children after that. Of course, she's Church of Christ, so she would have had children after she was married. <laughs> of course, because nobody does it the other way. <laughs> nobody does it right. She worked for the Tennessee Department of Health for about five years. And like I said, she was raised Church of Christ, which is very important in the story. The Church of Christ, they have three major ideas in in their philosophy, doctrine, or whatever it is called. And I don't know if y'all had much experience with the Church of Christ being separate from like Baptist or Methodist. Mm-hmm. I did. Okay. So, you know, they strict. So they are very strict. They, long skirts, long hair. They are long. going back to <laughs> the original from the Bible. Everything is from the Bible. It's like the original. <laughs> That's what they think. Right. <laughs> right. So it, basically the Church of Christ, and there's so many of them because they have a tendency to split from one another for mm-hmm. disagreements. Now, I will say that is just a Protestant practice. <laughs> exactly. But they all proclaim to be the one true church. They have no hierarchy because it's supposed to be like the elders. It's like there's no one minister or whatever. It's like the elders, which are all men. Mm-hmm. There's a, they're a, they're believers in baptism for salvation. And they also believe in five acts of worship, which is basically the Sunday morning worship must replicate the New Testament worship service of the early church. There is no singing (laughs) with instruments. Everything is a cappella. They believe like the Lord's Supper every Sunday and you give money to the church. It's men praying and men preaching. And it's always like the patriarch patriarchy you know men first Mm -hmm. and it's it's to be fair most protestant religions and or catholic most religions are that most religions (laughs) are that many many exactly but most in this country right but i mean to be fair like methodists are a little bit more lenient methodists lutherans episcopalians presbyterian presbyterians right you know female leaders Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Yes. I don't know about that when I was raised Southern Baptist. Some and liberal Baptists. Primitive Baptists. There are liberal Baptists. There that, are. So I, there, there may be, there may be more than you think that, you know, mm, I, right. I really do think that the, the subjugation of women might be a, closer to a minority now. Oh, in Protestant, in Protestant sects. <laughs> Listen, I'm just I, saying. I, I, I don't. Not in this state. Not no, this state. not in this state. <laughs> no. Listen, y'all, this state fucking shocked me, state, shocked right? me to state, death. Right. But they're following this Timothy, whatever. You know, yeah, I don't fucking know the Bible. You know, I do. Okay, but they're following this Timothy, where it's like let oh, women. He didn't know. He mama loved learn him in quietness and all subjugation. 
but I permit neither woman to teach nor have dom- mm-hmm. uh, dominion mm-hmm. over man, mm-hmm. um, but to be quiet. Mm-hmm. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not <clears throat> beguiled, but the woman being beguiled hath fallen into transgression. So it's like all the women's fault. They should just shut up. Original sin. Original sin. Yeah, shin. <laughs> Original sin. Tequila. No. Vodka. <laughs> vodka. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. She shall be saved through her childbearing if they continue mm. in faith and love and sanctification with sobriety, which obviously I'm not sober right now. <laughs> yeah. But all the things like just fuck you. Okay. Can I can I go on like a, a teeny tiny? I swear I'll, I'll come Absolutely. right back. Absolutely. The Apostle Paul is responsible. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to Timothy. It's mm. not Timothy that wrote that. It's Paul that wrote that. And the Apostle Paul is responsible for most of the subjugation of women in the Christian religion. I was just going to say, that sounds Woman just like hater. a Baptist. That's yes. why we couldn't vote in church. And I remember and, going, why can't you vote, Mom? And I'm let's let's and let's like, remind all the Bible-believing Christians out there that the Apostle Paul never fucking met Jesus Christ and the disciples didn't say this shit. Right. So, you know, Paul, I don't know. Watch seriously. Like, like. Watch out for Paul. Watch out for Paul. Paul. Watch out for Paul. Anyway, go ahead. Don't trust Paul. Don't. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I, I know nothing about that. <laughs> so anyway, in 1980s. Paul lies. <laughs> Paul lies. And Gwen kind of knew that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. But anyway, so Gwen's in school, um, 1980s, she began like this weight control consulting practice and nothing to do with the church. It was part of probably her thesis in college. She struggled with her weight in college, like a lot of us do, like mm. freshman 15. Freshman 15. It's, I got that. Mm-hmm, I, I got the COVID 30, but <laughs> <Me too>. um, <laughs> while she was in college and after college, she consulted with like genetics and metabolism and behavioral modification. And she dealt with all of this, but it did not explain like why people, some people were thin and once people were overweight, she's trying to find a reason. It's like, why are these people thin and these people happen to struggle with their weight? And I totally feel that 1986, she founded this way down workshop, which was a weight loss program with really no food restrictions. They didn't tell you. Jazzercise. Like it wasn't about exercise either, but it was basically like, I mean, just it's it's almost like count your calories. It's like when you're when you eat, if you start to feel full, stop eating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only eat when you're hungry, only eat when you're hungry. Mm -hmm. And then when you're satisfied, not full, like before you're full, stop eating. And, you know, and then, you know, just portion control. These are and these are good. And these are good. Yeah, It, it was absolutely. So this is, you know. Kind of this workshop. That sounds very sensible. Yeah. I try that, to live by that. That mm-hmm. she was working up. <laughs> yeah, I fail so often. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's hard to do. It is hard to do because a lot of us are emotional eaters mm-hmm. and and such. And so she developed this workshop and it was working and it was part of her master's degree at Memphis State University. And then she kind of continued counseling and she did these workshops first, like at the mall in Memphis. and. And it was good. People were losing weight, had nothing to do with religion. The program offered small classes, like I said, in like the mall and not in a church or anything like that. Mm -hmm. That worked great until people lost weight, but then they gained it back. Mm. 
And so she kept offering these programs and then she started to connect it to God. She was like, well, you gained the weight back because you were not a true believer. Oh my um, God. Don't get me so started on that. She's mm, like, I had somebody talking about that in depression. Mm, so not this, a true believer. That's this, why you're depressed. Not this, me personally, but no, no, this this totally weighs in. Mm-hmm. She started working on this program, the Way Down Workshop, and by she offered it to like about six hundred churches in 35 states and it started building momentum that's a lot and it's a lot and so by 1995 a thousand churches in 49 states oh my god that's almost all states yeah, <laughs> all the states right and it kept growing and the next year in 1996 it grew even even more mm, and the 50 states yeah to the, <laughs> to the world basically yeah. it's global you know she went global and by by this time, 1996, she started to like have a staff of 40 and she built a headquarters in Franklin, Tennessee and started doing like these annual summer conventions. And what flipped for her, and I don't really know the exact date. I think it was like the 1996 kind of area or whatever, when she's, you know, she saw that her initial workshop where it's like, when you are not hungry, don't eat mm-hmm. kind of deal. But she said that she, people were gaining the weight back after her workshops and she was she was having a problem. And I was listening to a podcast called Cultist. Mm-hmm. And they said they had like a member on there that like was part of her church later on say that she heard the voice of God and God told her that if people started to gain weight, it was because they were not following him. Oh, no. And she conveyed this to everybody. And and one of the things that red flag cultist, y'all, that if your leader or person in your life or whoever starts like saying, do this because I heard God's voice. That's like the number one scary red flag. Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't do anything because somebody says that God told them to do it. That's when you you need to go Mm -hmm. seek medical attention and because your chemicals are fucking you up. Yeah. Basically. Wait, the and also who hears God, you mean? Yeah. And the other person. The other the classic person. Classic MFM. Call the your other dad. Person you're in a cult. Yeah, can seek dad. God themselves because God will talk to you. Exactly. Right. It is not all about Sounds that person. Like Nexium. Right. Oh, right mm, now. Yeah. yeah. It totally follows the same line, right? So in 1997, Gwen published this book. So she started getting all this attention from the churches and people, you know, and her whole premise was, it's like, when you start to get hungry or you start to reach for whatever food, pray to God and give yourself to God and give your troubles to God and give that hunger or that need to eat to God. And if you believe in God, then you will not eat, you know, the thing and you will not continue to overeat. You know, it's, it's like because that first part of what you said, it's not there's something 
to that, you know, yes. give that to God, but give that. But when it comes to or cross, it could be give anything. It yes. it, but when it to... says, when it says, though, if you believe in God, you will not do the thing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where you yeah. go off the rails. That's right. right. No, no. It started out like it is. It's exactly what a lot of diets teach you. It's like when you start to feel hungry, chew a piece of gum. Yeah. When you start to feel they hungry. They all have it. Go, go take a walk. A walk. Absolutely. Yeah. So in 1997, she published the Way Down Diet book, and it advised readers to use spirituality to avoid overeating. Again, not a bad thing. No. Mm-hmm. Okay? It sold 1.2 million copies. She taught the love of food should be transferred to a love of God and to cut food proportions in half and eat only when hungry. Again, not a bad teaching. That's why people were drawn to it, right? 1998, workshops hosted more than 21,000 classes. Oh, my God. Had like a quarter of a million participants worldwide. This is so fast. It went so fast and went crazy. Well, because it plugged right into already established religion and Mm -hmm. doctrine. And Mm -hmm. shame. And shame. <laughs> That's the doctrine. Yes, is shame. it is. Okay. In 1999, you know, she was brought up Church of Christ. She was brought up very strict. Male patriarchal man is top. Women submissive. Children sight unseen. Basically, is how mm-hmm. she was brought up. But because she was having all of these workshops, she was still Church of Christ. Church of Christ would not let women lead mm-hmm. in prayer and preaching and all of that. So she broke with them in 1990 because they were not in line with what she was doing. When she broke with them, she founded the Remnant Fellowship Church in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just outside of Nashville, mm-hmm. Franklin is, which, you know, was big. She broke with her church that she was raised in because obviously which is she should have if they were not allowing her to be a leader of the church, mm-hmm. then she should. So I, I do not fault her for that. So in 2000, and she has all of like a quarter of a million and more participants and followers mm. of her plan. And, you know, she has these workshops she does, the schooling and stuff. In 2000, she broke with or 1999. She broke with the church. And then 2000, she sent out to her emailing list. And she has all these deals with these churches. And she said that she believed that the doctrine of the Trinity was not biblical. Mm. Well, as soon as she said that, the churches, the evangelical churches, they were like, nope. Uh-uh. And so her publishers canceled all of her books. She was removed from the Women of Faith website. And even some of her employees left her staff. However, and honestly, the reason that she gave for discrediting the Trinity, which if you... Does everybody know what the Trinity is? So the Father, the God, and the Holy Ghost. Father, Father, Son, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Ghost, Right? As one triune being, but separate. Yes. Right. Okay. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you mm -hmm. want to say. Don't say ghost because some people don't like that. (laughs) Right. But if you think about this, if you think about the Church of Christ being, I think they call it like the restorationist movement or the restorationist kind of doctrine that they have where they're restoring just the teachings of the Bible. 
So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all equal. Mm -hmm. But if you're a restorationist, or if you think it's like nobody can be above God. So the Son, which is the child, cannot be above the Father. The Holy Spirit, which is a thing <laughs> could not be above the father it, it's just, it's it's the non-physical version of both of them right that's how i've always understood it. it's the like Holy what comes Spirit. into your soul that they're right they're beyond body right. it's a form so, of guidance right honestly, it's what you get saved with what she's saying <laughs> is it's not to me as being an outsider if you're looking at like if you're going to follow the bible to a t and you believe God is the patriarch, then her saying that the son and this feeling is secondary, it, it's not too far off like the mark. So the, the idea that she said this and that all the churches rejected her is kind of funny. It's kind of ironic. I was trying to remember the context that, that she did that in because they talked about that a little bit in the documentary, but I can't I don't, remember. I don't it. really remember either. But anyway, so she said that and the church was like, nope. But she had such a following mm -hmm. then that it was, it, it didn't matter. It set her back a little bit for a little while, but in the end, it really didn't matter. Because mm -hmm. over the next 10 years, her way down program mm -hmm. was on the BBC, 2020, Current Affairs, oh my View, God. Dateline, Family Circus, Good Housekeeping, <laughs> Women's Day, multiple newspaper articles. She was featured on the Today Show. She was on CNN's Larry King live, and this is what she fucking said. Wow, there. defending her draconian diet dogma to Larry King once, Shamblin said, How in the Holocaust did you have all these people getting down really skinny? They ate less food. Fucking that's what life. she said. Yeah, that is what she said to Larry King, a Jew about the holocaust and about fucking vanity weight loss oh my god i know i need to go watch that because i really want to see his reaction because like <sighs> fuck that just what a complete just lack of perspective a person must have oh, oh. i'm sorry i jumped ahead to the end because i just googled oh. way down and i yeah, see her don't, now yeah don't don't yeah, say, nothing. say nothing i didn't even google too far <laughs> y'all really what yeah. she looks like now and yeah oh well okay here we go So she was also on the early show tyra banks devoted like an hour-long program to her and her diet plan and the remnant fellowship and the remnant you really should listen to cultish because they really break down the religious part of it. I, like I said, I am not like a Bible church person. They basically break down like all of the, the reasoning behind the remnant fellowship, her comparing like herself kind of to Moses yeah. leading the people in it later on, like after she breaks from the church and everything. And when she truly like becomes a cult, she was also on CVS Insiders and obviously began producing her own internet show in 2011 called You Can Overcome. In 2018, Shamblin is her married name. As, her, as she grew in fandom and followers, her husband, David Shamblin, who she's married in 1978, who was still visibly overweight, became like less and less 
was in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though she, you know, spoke out against divorce to her followers. And as you see, like in all these leaders and all these cults, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, do as I say, not as I yeah. do. She divorced her husband, even though she told people to suffer through their own marriages because that's what God wanted. But 2018, she suddenly divorced David after 40 years of marriage because she met this new person, Joe Laura, <laughs> who happened to be a actor in Hollywood Ooh. and was Tarzan in Manhattan, which is like a weekly program like back in the 90s, I think. <laughs> And he was like an aspiring country music guy, oh, oh, too, yeah. right? Well, let's just get, okay, get to okay, okay. So Tarzan in Manhattan. He was an actor. He was a struggling actor in California. He was like born and raised California. His stepdad had money, so he became like very acclimated to the lifestyle, He's even that though guy. he did not have really the skill set or the intent to like work and make a living. He was known as a user of people and a user of drugs and kind of a nasty person. Although he was quote unquote hot. He was like six foot three, tan, small, charmer kind of thing. How old was he when she married him and how old was she? He was younger than her. He was definitely, I I would think like maybe 20 years younger. I mean, I'm not 100% sure. Plenty taller, lots taller. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, so he was, he would date older women and they would lavish. That's what I figured. That's what I was asking for. Yeah. And, you know, and then when he's, they called him like sleeping with other people, they would ditch him and he would just go from like the next older woman that could Mm -hmm. like maintain his lifestyle and he had he didn't make money all of his money came from charming older women basically while he was pursuing his acting career but you know he met this woman he was dating this woman younger woman who was also an actor and they had a child together and they moved to Nashville because he said that he wanted to pursue his country music career. Mm-hmm. He was very much like kind of the David Hasselhoff of country music. <laughs> oh. it, 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 People liked him in like Japan. probably would have he was that famous but he he never made it that famous oh okay so in 2015 joe laura and his baby mama they moved to nashville he was trying like this music career and he was doing this so that he could support his family it was like if you know, later on, if he doesn't make it in music, then he would get a quote unquote job. <laughs> he already had a child with this woman. She followed him to Nashville, but she had folks up in Chicago. And she's like, look, I've got all my family. Like, I need help with this child. Like, you need help with your children. If you do not have mm-hmm. a supportive spouse, you need that village to help you with Because children was, are hard. Children are so fucking hard, right? And so she's like, look, if you don't like, if you, if you don't work this out, we're going to Chicago. And this, just to give the character of who Joe Laura was, he called the police and he claimed that she sexually assaulted her four-year-old daughter, which if you knew anything about her and her, her, her daughter, like, this was like beyond the truth. So just to show you how nasty Joe was. 
And of course, like it didn't pan out. They couldn't prove that. And of course, because it wasn't true. And that kind of set the tone and they split up. But while he was in Nashville, he met Gwen and he saw his opportunity and she saw what a quote unquote honk he was. I don't see it, man. Yeah. You've seen him. I'll have to look at oh, all his pictures. Have, right? He's oh. very milk toast. I don't he's know. yeah. He, mm-hmm. He's the typical like what you would expect. She cast him. Cast milk toast him in <laughs> her production, and she fell in love, and he saw Darlith, dollar signs, and just like that, because Remnant Fellowship Church, which she was head of, oh. had a recording studio. <gasps> He became a country star. So he (laughs) became a country star in his own mind. And also he became a minister. Mm -hmm. Oh. Because it's that easy. Overnight. (laughs) And it's really, if you watch. He got his own law minister degree in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. If you watch this um, (laughs) HBO, then you will see just how fucking gross it is mm-hmm. yeah. and you can tell that when he's speaking that she if you watch her i'm feeling some righteous gemstones around here too yes. oh yes oh sure okay. yes for Which sure was fantastic but oh, i yeah. love that show it is, that was a great <laughs> show but if you in this documentary the way down if you watch her look at him while he's talking you can tell that she was just going just shut up and be pretty because this is my gig. You could really see it in her eyes and her force. You could just see her looking at him going, oh, my God, what the fuck is he saying? Because it's so stupid that you just need to shut up and let me run my show because I'm the money maker here. And she was the brains. Oh, yeah. She was intelligent. <laughs> oh, she yeah. Was, she was a smart cookie. Okay. And oh, my gosh. Now, over the next 20 years, the Remnant Church became much more than like losing weight and God. It was all about power. So Gwen exerted more and more power over her members like finances, marriages, custody arrangements, heriting, social media, postures, and basically all contact with the outside world. It sounded like a cult. It was a cult. Yes. So the Atlantic... In an article that's the seven signs that you're in a cult, define being in a cult is a, like having opposing critical thinking. Yeah. You weren't yeah. supposed to think for yourself, isolating members and penalizing them for leaving. Yep. Yeah. Emphasizing special doctrine outside scripture, which she did when she declared the Holy Trinity mm-hmm. like bullshit. And the whole idea of the remnant is the idea that like God will leave a remnant is the the scriptural part of that, right. which is like no one else is going to understand. Yeah. God is going to leave this one tiny group of people that's special. Right. And and a lot of that is the Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's why they split off from each other so much. And they always proclaim that they are the true church. Mm-hmm. Which totally fucking baffles me. Mm. It's like, we are the true church. No, we are the true church. No, we are the I true know, church. Right? Like, no, like, we are God's people and everyone else is going to hell. No, you're going to hell. I'm not going to hell. You're in the I bad church. I remember arguing with my mom about this when I was a teenager, when oh, I had yeah. friends who were different religions, mm. too. Oh, yeah. I oh, was yeah. like, wait, no, they think the same things. So oh, yeah. Like, and I remember, like, when I was like, 
playing sports and we'd be praying and I'd be like, wait, but they're praying over there too. Mm-hmm. So which side is God on? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> right. Who's God going to score this point for? Y'all, it's fascinating because God is always notably absent <laughs> from all of these interactions, right? Like but God is not sending lightning down. No God is with me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, though. Oh, yeah. Does Alabama won. No. Yes. Yeah. Roll tie God's will. <laughs> So also another another sign you're in a cult is dishonoring the family unit, mm. crossing biblical boundaries of behavior versus sexual purity, personal ownership, mm. and separation from the church, quote unquote. A lot of the cults too, if if you'll I I watched the whole thing like on the Nexium group mm-hmm. and, yeah. and all you know, like the different cults. Um, Because, again, cults are fascinating Mm -hmm. to me, as they are a lot of people, because you're thinking, like, how in the world do people get so wrapped up and caught up with this when it's so blatantly, like, wrong? But one of the ways that just kind of, like, falls into line to what Gwen was doing is that they mess with your food and they control your food. Like, Mm -hmm. Nexium did that, like. Yeah. when you can eat and when you cannot eat. Mm -hmm. So members of, of Remnant were constantly told, by channeling the voice of God, that she was the voice of God and everything that they did, they needed to like check with her because she was God's basically mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't do like right or you did right, then again, everything was through her. She was in total control of everything and she should not be questioned, which was that opposing critical thing. Yeah, no kidding. the one thing, right? She told members of the church, like Laura um, Alvarez, she told that she needed to lose weight. And um, as far as weight goes, she was told she needed to lose like four pounds. A week. Oh, my. Oh, a week. I was like, total? Like, that's no, not a big deal. A no. week. A week, which is like. That's an unhealthy range. Unhealthy amount. That's what, like a, a 2,000 calorie deficit? Yeah. Or she, a 1,500 calorie deficit? Told, I don't know. The she told another like, member, uh, Teresa Morris, that within more t- than half a pound who, a like when she started this way down process, she lost 27 pounds in two months, which again mm. is a little bit over really the healthy amount of, you should, like 10 is like borderline, which you should like lose in a diet. Mm-hmm. And that's usually at the beginning. Like everybody has like water weight and stuff that they lose at the beginning. So she lost 27 pounds in two months, but then she ended up losing 138 pounds in 18 months. And even after she lost that weight, she was told that even after all that weight, she needed to lose more weight. And in order to like, and she hit that, like when you lose that much weight, you're going to hit a plateau. Oh yeah. And you're just, I mean, if you're a, 400 pound person yeah you might yeah. need to lose more than 100 but wow pounds. yeah but, but even still you still need to be told like you're doing a good job no and shit you can keep going right right exactly but she was told to even to lose more weight and if she didn't lose God. more than two pounds a week oh no then, no then she was like told to fast and she was told that you know, the faster you do it, the holier you are. Oh, mm. and then it went down to like she was only supposed to take ten bites a day, <gasps> and then you know. Oh, that makes me mad. Give just, me those, John. 
Right. right. <laughs> ladle. Very much. Yeah. Ten ladles full. Ten ladles. <laughs> so it's like God was never pleased to win. Like you lost the weight and you need to lose even more. And the faster and the less you ate, the holier that you were and the more God appreciated it. Uh, and so it ended up being, um, you know, Teresa, Teresa Morris said that, you know, the 10 bites a day, she started having problems with her kidneys and it's uh, because her body was eating her kidneys and she had permanent like kidney damage from this. Uh. And it's because Gwen Shamblin had actual training as a dietitian, like right. knows better. She knows, knows better. Better. But just the ego and the pride and the power that came with what she was telling her congregation. It's like she she went over like <gasps> she hit a precipice and then just went over because it moved on from weight loss and it she began preaching that waste you know her weight loss creed would cure all perceived ills of the world saying that remnant members were able to break break free from slavery of drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and overeating and overspending so she was like not only does your addiction to all these like to food it's like your addiction to all of these other things need to be handed over to God. And so, you know, that's kind of where her power, like when she really went over the edge of like, you know, God needs to be totally in control of your life. And by God, she means she. Yeah. Because God was speaking through her. Because she's taking specifically vulnerable people. Absolutely. And just, you know, and if you, you went against her, then she had this whole congregation and all these leaders saying, well, it must be you. You are defected. You are the uh -huh. sinner. If you can't do this, then it's, it's you not, you know, you willfully sinning against God. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's rough. It is so rough. She fucked up so many people. Her following, you know, had like all of this just abusive psychological stuff going in their head and and they preached like the leaders were pure husbands were supposed to be kind like christ women are submissive and children obeyed their parents and this is kind of you know it went from god praying to god when you were hungry to all of this control over you through her from god and it hit every aspect of her members' lives. And it really was crossover from like Handmaid's Tale and Stepford mm. Wives. Um, children were supposed to be ultra disciplined. She started this trend of them wearing strangely old-fashioned clothing. Oh, Lord. Like, like turn-of-the-century ruffles, mm -hmm. uh, lots of lace. And she became like really focused on the children controlling children for some reason i don't know what that was all about but she believes the children are our future which actually she didn't she wanted them sight, <laughs> sight unseen she's like children really you know they're okay to be here but they should not be like heard or seen they should be controlled it was again it was all about hierarchy it's like you know the man but it really but not was, in her case but it, not in her case because she was exceptional God was speaking through her, right? 
And then, you know, it fell into place. It was like Gwen, the man, the woman, and then children, kind of the, how the hierarchy was. And if the congregate fell ill, like with cancer, gained weight, or had disobedient children, then she declared that it was a judgment of God, that Ooh. it was your fault, you were the sinner, you did not believe hard enough, and you need to repent for the bad things that you had done. And if you didn't, then bad things were going to happen to you and to them. And But she never held the same standard for herself because, again, she didn't believe in divorce. She made people who who needed to get divorced stay married. But then again, she dropped her husband of 40 years for this Tarzan. You know, <laughs> for Tarzan. You know, person. And all of this was like followed by her. She had this, I'm like, everything was fine. Everything, like this kingdom that she built for herself was untouchable. Even like in 2003, when her members, two of her members, Joseph and Sonia Smith, she told them to use harsh discipline with their eight-year-old son, Joseph. And she promoted beating of children. And she told, she told parents, like, beat your children with long, like the long glue sticks to keep them in line. And so Joseph and Sonia Smith, who were from Atlanta, did this. And she praised them for locking their son up, Joseph, with nothing but a Bible for three days. So she was promoting the beating and and harsh discipline and abuse of children within the church, saying that parents, again, going back, and I fully believe this is going back to her Church of Christ, kind of early beliefs of men are head of household. Women are subservient and children should be like seen but not heard and not even really seen. And if they do not like follow this strict guideline, then they should be punished. And this punishment was ordained by God through Gwen. And so during one of these punishments, the Smiths locked their son, eight year old son, in a box and they like tied a, a yeah. bungee cord around the box because he kept popping his head up because he couldn't fucking breathe and so they locked down this chest or this box with a bungee cord and after his punishment they couldn't revive him and so he ended up fucking dying in this box and the coroner said that Joseph had injuries pretty much everywhere on his body except for the palms of his hands and the soles of his feet. And his parents were sentenced to life in prison plus 30, even though they have audio of Gwen telling them how to punish their son. Mm-hmm. Her and her church were never brought into the scandal. It was swept under the rug nothing ever came of it the people her followers never questioned her during this time because one of the ways that a cult controls people is really simple they teach you to minimize the part of the story that doesn't fit with the narrative that they're trying to give Mm. so you're supposed to minimalize deny 
and rewrite the narrative. And if that doesn't ring true with mm-hmm. a lot of the po- political bullshit mm-hmm. that we have been hearing of minimalizing, denying, mm-hmm. and rewriting mm-hmm. the narrative, then I don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do not know what to tell you. And this couple also was black. They were black. And that would have made it easier for this white Absolutely. Memphis woman to she say, oh, this like, wasn't me. Acknowledge uh-huh. their presence. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the uh, pregnant members of Gwen's church who was trying to get out of the church was told that if she left, she would be cursed. Cursed. And so, and it was said that Gwen actually kept a book of everybody who left. And it became like this very paranoid scenario of people telling on people. And if you listen to any of the documentaries of, on the other cults, you, you know that this is mm-hmm. plays a big, mm-hmm. huge factor of people telling on other people mm-hmm. of not following the doctrine of whatever they were supposed to be doing. So narcs. She was, narcs are important. Narcs, exactly. And so. And the Nazis too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The same thing. Absolutely. And so she wanted to leave. And so uh, she was pregnant at the time and she ended up having a miscarriage and she was fully convinced that uh. she was cursed because of her disobedience and and leaving the group. That is why she lost her baby. Because <sighs> this is the bullshit the, that Gwen started like feeding her um, whole congregation. Under Gwen, she started Exodus Ministries or Exodus Industries, which was also like it was the business arm of the church. They built custom homes. They provided plumbing, electrical work, air condition work. So this is like her whole church. So, you know, she went from these workshops to starting this church and church is tax free. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people under these tax free guidance will start businesses and these businesses Mm -hmm. are actually there to support and give money back to the church. So if there's plumbing problems within the church, then they just have a business that deals with plumbing Mm -hmm. and you build houses for your membership and it becomes all a big community. If you need, you know, your room painted or you need like landscaping or something like plumbing problems with your house and you're within the church, then you just call the church and the church sends over the plumber from the church. And it's all tax. And it's all, yeah, it is, it is all that. So this starts happening. But the thing about it is, is that if you, in Gwen's church, you worked for free. Mm. So if you were a plumber, you did it because you are a servant of the Lord. And this is what God wanted to do. So you were going to go fix so-and-so's toilet because it was all because you're a good Christian and you wanted to follow the Lord. So everything, like all the businesses that they started up to support the church and the church community became from free labor Mm. that was quote unquote donated to the church. Mm -hmm. And these workers were cooks, daycare people. And so while all of them were given the labor, all of this money that was saved was going back into the church by church. I mean, but going back mm-hmm. when and her inner circle and following one person who wanted to work for the church, but also wanted to get paid said like the church promised me that she would make like $21 an hour. And, but when she got there, she, her first paycheck was only like $8 an hour. 
And when she asked Gwen, Gwen was like, you need to humble yourself. This is pay. You're not going to get a raise and you will not get paid like on the Lord's day because that you're working for the Lord. Mm. When in fact, she was really, they were really working for Gwen's whole conglomeration, which was worth $20 million Mm. and like estate assets and all of the things that she had over the country and all over the country. When drove a Porsche. Mm. She lived in a pre-Civil War plantation known as Ashlawn. And she would lavish many expensive gifts upon her boy toy, (laughs) Joe Laura. And one of those things was flight lessons. So all of this is going on. She, you know, has pretty much secluded people from their families, people from reality. They are following her. They're following the word of Gwen, who was receiving her word directly from God. It stopped being about, it, it continued to be about losing weight, mm-hmm. but it's, it became even more, it became about losing weight. It became about the reality of your family <laughs> setting. It became about control of every aspect of your life. You need to check in with Gwen, who was, you know, the head next to God mm-hmm. kind of deal. And then if you failed in any of this, it was your fault because you did not believe hard enough mm. and you should be punished for it and your children should be punished for it. Um, so uh, Gwen Shamblin, Laura, after she got married, she promoted the notion that great things come from those who bow down before God and that bad events were consequences of the unfaithfulness. Mm-hmm. This was a huge doctrine of hers. It's like, if bad things happen, if you get sick, it is your fucking fault because you didn't believe in your fullest sin and you really shouldn't even be in this church to begin with. Mm -hmm. However, Gwen and six church leaders, including her husband, Joe, and her son-in-law, Brandon Hannah, were killed in a 1982 Cessna Citation. No, 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 that's, that's a, the name. That that's the that's a plane. plane. Oh, and it's her private jet. They were bound for Palm Beach, Florida, for a fucking mag baga rally. <laughs> oh, for Trump. Trump. For Trump. <laughs> what year? In Florida. Um, at least since twenty sixteen. This is twenty twenty one. Very oh. recent. Last year. Oh, yeah. They crashed into Percy Priest Lake in Smyrna. Smyrna. In Smyrna, Georgia? In Smyrna, Tennessee. All seven top tier leaders of the remnant church and Gwen and her husband were killed. Gwen was and her husband Mm -hmm. killed. And her son-in-law. And and he was flying the plane. Her husband was was flying the plane. plane Because remember, she paid for his his lessons. So all seven of the top people died in that plane crash on May 29th, 2021. It's not even been a year yet. Oh, that documentary got its ass in gear. Yes. (laughs) It came out like two months later. (laughs) When the plane crash happened, they had already like finished the documentary and then the plane crash happened Mm. and they were like, whoop, 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 whoop. And they went back in 
and like covered it very briefly. Mm-hmm. But it was like a little spot a at little the spot. last episode. And then it was kind of like a cliffhanger mm-hmm. because it was all happening like real time. But the thing about it is, is mm-hmm. that she preached like everything happens because of God <laughs> and God's mm-hmm. like punishment. And so this left her church in fucking shambles. Mm-hmm. But they denied it. They acted like fucking nothing happened. Because if you remember, but if you remember, like in a cult, that it's all about what denial, doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like, ignore what doesn't fit. Ignore what doesn't fit and just keep going. So there are still, like, the remnant church is still going on. It's led by her daughter, who, thank God, does not have the same stamina or I don't even know what to call it as her mom. It's still going on. She still preaches the same shit, but it's not as like strong as it was when Gwen was in charge. But the documentary, the HBO documentary is the way down. God agreed and the cult of Gwen Shamblin. And it is really weird because the first season of the second of the second season of when it picks up after the plane crash. I just started watching. I haven't watched the whole thing, but it's basically, it's showing how members of the church who believe so wholeheartedly in this, this idea that if bad things happen to you, it is God's will because you are a bad person. Mm -hmm. And so for all seven members of the top, including Gwen having died in this plane crash, going to a Trump fucking rally Mm -hmm. just blows like (laughs) how people adjusted Mm. to that. So first they ignored it and they're continuing to ignore it. And her uh, daughter has taken up the reins, but she's not out in front of person people she is still preaching but she preaches from behind a curtain like the wizard of oz oh my god yeah and if you look at her i feel so fucking sorry because in the play crash she lost her mom she lost her stepdad Mm -hmm. and she lost her husband so she suffered all this trauma but it's like they picked up like or nothing happened and she looked and I hate to judge people by the way they look, but she is so thin. And she I was going to so say, pale. yeah, she looks so sickly that she looks like she needs about 50 the daughter years mm-hmm. of therapy and to get over just this tragic mm. trauma that she has been brought into. Mm. And thank God she is not like her mom, but she needs therapy. But had she not, I feel like in the, in the documentary, had they not said something about, had she had a miscarriage or lost a child or there I was, she, she had depressive issues she did. Already, already and she had lost a remarkable amount of weight and was just trying to cope with yes. the, with things in this kind of isolated situation in that the, she found and, herself in. And the fact also that I'm sure she was trying to cope in the fact that her mom was teaching that it was all her fault mm-hmm. and that it was all her sin. That was the root of her problem. And, and this is something like that, that Christian, like Protestant Christians especially have to deal with. And I can't speak to Catholics, but that it's biblical. It is biblical. Right. That your sin causes 
consequences like mm, this. It right. is biblical that this happens because you've done something wrong. And yet at the same time, it is also 100, 100% biblical that that is untrue. Right. Both of those things are explicitly in the Bible and you've got to deal with that. And that's the problem right. is like modern day Christianity with the like the industrial evangelical complex tries to make these things so black and white and choose one or the other. But really, yes. the Bible is a wisdom document mm -hmm. and it's about asking questions mm -hmm. yes. and they lose all of that because both of those things yes. are 100 percent biblical. Yes. And you have got to sit there and you've got to process that on your you own. Can fucking have modern medicine. And you can well, have exactly, exactly. There are gray. If you're looking areas. for power, you don't want people to have questions. No, absolutely so, not. I mean, it goes back to that. Like you cannot have people questioning anything. Exactly. Right? Because when people start questioning things, then you, you lose start power. losing power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Whoever's in power will lose power when the people start asking questions. Absolutely. Yes. That's, yes. Yep, that's to both of these stories. Absolutely. Yes. Through line. <clears throat> Through line. Boom, Jingle. Boom, 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 boom. But we did not, it. Yeah, yeah, I have not watched the second part. Well, um, the second part from what I've read so far is like the members dealing with the loss of all seven of their leaders Aye. who controlled their lives and realizing they were in a fucking cult. Yeah. Um, so did people lives. leave? I'm sure people, well, I think people have come forward who were scared yeah. to in the past because they were scared of Gwen saying that they were not true believers and that they were going to, and that's, that's it. They are going to hell. One of the people in Cultish was actually a member who was there from the age of 10 because his mother was mm. there and stayed there until like maybe 18. And that was the thing that he said. He was like, if you go, and, and this is not just Gwen, this is. These are these churches of Christ. These are these not churches, just churches of Christ right, yeah, that, a lot separate, of churches. that separate <laughs> because of they have disagreements in <clears throat> the way that other churches handle things. And so they become like, we are the true church. Mm -hmm. And so people who thought, you know, that they were told they were going to hell if they were not the true church and went with the true church. And mm -hmm. that was her her through line to salvation. Mm -hmm. She was the through line to salvation. So if you went against when you went against her church, you were going to hell. And she preached this. And and this this member who like was indoctrinated when he was 10, um, he, he basically said, I got to the point where I was like, so I'm going to hell. So what? Mm. And he's like, and as soon as he got to that point, he was just like, they had no control over me mm. because that is how they control people. It's like, if you, if you are not part of our church, then you're going to hell. If you're not part of our church. And this is where you don't ask, like, if people don't ask critical questions, if they don't challenge these people and they just go along with it. And that's where you get in the loop of, of power and being like in a cult. You're in a cult. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. That's right. <laughs> Question all the things. Fucking question, question all the things. Right. If question somebody says, and be kind to people, be kind to people. If somebody says God spoke to them that we have to do these things, red fucking flag, run, mm -hmm. <laughs> run the other way because that's fucking scary. Yes. 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 So there you go. So that is the whole story continuous of Gwen and the way down cult.
Oh, man, y'all. We've got a little after talk left. Not like way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. Not like way down yonder on I the Chattahoochee. Like, it gets hotter than a hoochie. <laughs> it gets hotter than <laughs> goddamn hell. Yes. They, uh, I don't want to get started on my experience uh, with the hellfire. I'll talk about that. Not in that. Maybe after, in the after talk. talk. Okay. okay. Thank y'all so much for You listening. are the best. We appreciate you. Bye. Bye.